hell before we even got to sing our song. There's a group of African British uh, group. They were from Britain. Um, they just, from their seats, decided we're going to worship God. They took over that whole church. And JC posted, and I love what we're seeing with the, um, you know, with the revival on the, you know, the, the college campuses and all that. I feel like we saw it happening in Israel before we even came to America. That's what he was posting. Then my dad on our little group chat said, I felt the same way. Because then we're outside at the Dead Sea, and there's a group of men from France. We don't even speak the same language. But the guy has a guitar. So JC goes, hey man, let's go. And so the guy starts playing, and universally, music can be universal, though we might not speak the same language. And so they started with Amazing Grace. And so we all start singing Amazing Grace in English, and the, the, the French uh, men are over here praising God. They're not singing it with us because um, I don't know that they could speak or sing in English, but they're worshiping God as we sing it in English. And then they, the, the guy with the guitar turns and starts playing it, and they start worshiping God in French. We didn't understand the words, but we understood the words because we know what the song is. And so we're able to worship God along with our brothers from France because it's universal. And yet this is what's happening all through Israel. Everywhere we went, it's like, what in the world's happened? Like, like we're just singing with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It's like heaven. It was beautiful to be able to be at the garden tomb between the resurrection and where Jesus, or the crucifixion and where Jesus resurrected with a group of men to take communion and to be able to sing praises to God. We saw God moving and he moved through music and he moved through singing. And so men, I told you how beautiful it was. And I said, you, we lead the way. We're called to lead the way. Your voice needs to be heard in this church. Your voice needs to lead the way for the congregation. But church as a whole. It's a command. This, this was something that shocked me in this uh, seminar I was in, that there are over 400 biblical commands to praise God and to, in singing, to sing to Him. 400! And so I wonder, is that your limit to where you go, I can't do that, or I'm just not going to do that? See, because our music as a church, th th this, this has been my heart for a long time, and I got some pushback there for a while, it needs to be biblical. It needs to be doctrinally sound. It needs to be to God, about God. It needs to be to Jesus or about Jesus for them, not for ourselves, not putting ourselves at the center of what we're singing about. And that means there's some good songs, and we get requests all the time. There's some really good songs when you turn on WAFJ or Air One that you might say, oh, I want the church to sing this because it moves you emotionally, because um, it inspires you. And that's all well and good. Go to their concert, turn it on the radio. But as a church, we want to focus when we come into this place for this short amount of time on worshiping Jesus, Amen. worshiping God. And so it's not about us. It's not about singing about myself but it's singing about Christ. And so we're going to edify him in our music. But it's not from here to here, but it's from here and here together. We're just, th this group is just encouraging you. They're using their gift and their talent to come alongside of you, but your voice is more powerful than a guitar. Your voice is more powerful than a keyboard. Your voice is more powerful than drums because all of that can go away and your voice still works. 
your voice is still called to lift up in praise. And so I love what I heard this pastor say, and I'm just, I'm stealing it. I'm adopting it. You can say, you know, you're, you're just doing something someone else is doing. Yes, I am. He flat out said he told his worship leader last Monday after a song on Sunday that they would not be singing it anymore. I was like, wow, okay. What's, what's happening here? I thought it maybe it was doctrinally wrong. It was not biblically accurate. It wasn't to God, about God, for God. You know, it didn't meet those requirements. He said, nope. It's because the congregation didn't sing it. And what happened is they were performing it. But the congregation didn't sing it. I was like, okay, I like that. So here's my, here's my deal as a church. If, you, if a song moves your heart into worship of God, sing it. Because if you don't and you love it, we're going to cut it. Why? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's key words here. Admonish one another. That means we're all doing it. And who are we doing it for? To God. And so therefore, if we're not going to obey God in our songs, we will cut them. We won't sing them. We won't play them. Why? Because the purpose of what we do here is for you to admonish one another towards God. And so we're either going to say as a church, because I have to lead the way as the lead pastor, I have to lead the way to you to tell you, hey, is there a limit to your obedience? Because I will not have integrity if I, as the pastor, allow us to ignore this scripture. This is just one of many. And so if we're not going in our worship to admonish one another to God, then we don't need to do it or else we are hypocrites. Verse 13, I spent way too much time there, but that's okay. Verse 13 says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. You write this down. God works in a Christian through his spirit and the scriptures. God works in a Christian through his spirit and the scriptures. Christians are given the Holy Spirit as a helper. Jesus said, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave you an advocate, a helper. And so you can exercise your faith and walk in obedience because you're not expected to do it on your own. He doesn't say, hey, you're on your own now. I saved you. I gave you life, but you got to figure this thing out on your own. No, he gave you the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to help you, and to empower you. And so as you humble yourself, God will give you the very will and the very desire to obey him, to do what he calls you to do. You'll desire him. You'll, you'll have that awe and that wonder for who he is. He's your God. He's your king. And you want to obey. He gives you the desires of your heart. As well, he gives you the power through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that um, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Like, you don't have to do it in your own power. You don't have to do it in your own way. He gives you the power. 
He enables you to do it. But God also works in us through the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us this is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, breathed out by him, God's word, which also works effectively in you who believe. God's word effectively works in you because it's not just from humans. Humans didn't just write it. They wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not just philosophy. It's not just ideology, but it is the word of God breathed out by him, given to you for your benefit, and it effectively works in you. So you cannot neglect the Holy Spirit and neglect the Holy Scriptures and expect to humbly obey God. It does not work that way. And so I wonder, can it be said of you that you welcome the Word of God as the actual Word of God? Because I believe if we do and we understand that it comes from God the Father, breathed out, inspired through the Holy Spirit upon men, not on their own power and inspiration, but through the Holy Spirit, that this came from God. It's His breathed out Word, every ounce of it. There is no um, error in His Word, and He has given it to us as a gift. Men have died to give this to you so that you can understand it. There have been martyrs who have tried to provide the scriptures so that you could have your own copy and you didn't have to come to some pope or priest or pastor to say, hey, can you tell me what that means? So that then man can abuse it and abuse you and lead you astray because of our own sinful way. But no, he's given it to you. I think it will humble you to understand that you're holding, that you possess the very word of God, breathed out so that you know his plan. You know how to love like Jesus loves. You know the good news. You know how to think. You, you know the purpose of God so that you can live according to his word and you can flourish in your relationship with him. And so if we welcome it, I think we'll be humbled by it and we will be found faithfully following it. Verse 14 to 16 goes on to say, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Paul connects here the, the acts of grumbling and arguing, complaining, all of that to the behaviors that come from a crooked and perverted generation. We, we cannot both have awe and reverence of Jesus while also choosing to grumble, argue, and complain about everything or about some things. Like th that heart, one is prideful and one is humble. One is conceited, and the other is rooted in humility. We cannot have an awe of God and understand who he is, and at the same time complain and grumble and argue. These behaviors aren't fitting for a Christian, so stop it. Stop. Humble yourself, humble your heart, 
and realize that when you get into that mode of complaining and arguing and grumbling and having a problem with everything, that it is not of God. It is a part of a crooked and uh, perverted generation. It is pride. In fact, what creates a complaining spirit within you? Pride. It's not your plan. It's not your way of thinking. It's not your agenda. So I'm going to complain. It's not, it's not what I wanted. That's pride. Putting yourself at the center, thinking that because you wanted something a certain way, because you demanded it, that it should happen. That's pride. It's conceit. It's lack of control. You desire control, but you don't have it. You lack it. And so you complain so that you can have it. Because maybe somebody will give you your way. You think magically if you complain or grumble that it's going to change things. Uh, as one pastor and many others have said, I don't know where it originated, but control is the greatest of all illusions. You might think you have control, but you don't. And if you do have control, it's by the grace of God while you do have it. And so we grumble, we complain because we lack control. We also complain because we are disgruntled with God. Because if God is all-powerful, if He is truly sovereign, He could have done something different. I mean, at the root, I believe, for those who believe in God, that is really the starting point. I mean, if God's truly all-powerful, I mean, if He truly knows all things, then He could have done this. He could have done it my way. It's kind of a mixture of pride and a mixture of being disgruntled with God, maybe lacking trust with God. Um, the other is a lack of gratitude. Gratitude and complaining cannot coexist. You cannot have a heart full of gratitude, as we just sang, and also be, have a heart that complains and grumbles. What causes you to be argumentative? A lot of the same, a fight to be right, a constant desire to be right is prideful. A fight for control. It's desperation to be in control. So I'm going to be argumentative. Why? Because I'm going to argue for my way so that I can regain control. It's a failure to trust God. God is either sovereign or not. So if God is sovereign and he has allowed something that even I disagree with or that goes against what my plan was, then I either have to surrender my plan to him or I will be argumentative. I will fight and call to try to get things my way. But if I trust him, then there is nothing to argue about because I go, God is in control. This is his plan. I might not like it. It might not be comfortable, but I'm going to trust God. That is the total opposite of being argumentative. And then a flawed view of self, a high view of self versus a low view of others. The reason we are so argumentative is because we have elevated ourselves and we place people below us and we believe that we are uh, our ways better. We, we, we went through this last week. We become argumentative because we have a higher view of ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought instead of preferring one another. And so by choosing humility, gratitude, and praise, Paul tells us that it keeps us pure, faithful, uh, faultless, and blameless children of God, that, that the, the world can look at us and we will shine like bright stars among the dark, wicked generation that's crooked and perverted. He says, you'll be faultless. You'll be blameless, pure children of God in the midst of this crooked, perverted generation. There will be a contrast. Look at the Grammys just a couple of weeks ago and the blatant worship of Satan 
which I understand is not new. It's, it's being highlighted more. It spreads around more because of the internet. But I mean, there were things like, you know, back in the day, some of you will recognize like ACDC, Highway to Hell, those type things. I mean, it's been there. It's always been around. But, but it's being celebrated. It, it's, it's, it's almost being um, highlighted. It feels like even more. And maybe it's just because of the, the time that we're in. But then look what's happening on college campuses. Whether you believe it's a revival or not. Look what's happening at Asbury University where a bunch of young adults, college age, are, are, have been hours upon hours worshiping, praying, calling out to God on, on college campuses. And I love the people who want to complain about it. And yeah, sure, it may not look like, and we don't know all the details because we're not there, but, but, but let's contrast that to the worship, the blatant worship of Satan and kids who are worshiping God, who don't have the lights, who don't have any of the things that we even have today. I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'm not saying any of that is, it's got to be that way. But what I'm saying is, is they're coming in with a pure heart, desiring to be with God and to know him more. There's a big contrast. You would say one is a light, like shining stars in a dark world. The other is the dark world. The other is the wickedness. There's a big contrasted difference between light and darkness. And so we avoid these sinful behaviors by holding firm to the word of life, he said. That, that's it. That's how we obey. That's how we avoid the toxic, unhealthy, sinful behaviors. That's how we stay in awe and wonder and reverence of Jesus. That's how we do it. We hold firm to the word of life. And then the final two verses, 17 and 18. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Even if Paul here is essentially saying if he becomes a martyr for the benefit and the advancement of the Christian's faith, this church's faith, for even our faith, because we come after this, who, whose life is forgotten. Like, like you, you, don't, you don't even think about Paul. Like, like, we're preaching from letters from Paul, but he's like, even if you didn't do that, even if you don't even remember me, if, if my life is just poured out like a drink offering at a sacrifice, like just forgotten, he says, that he would be okay with that. He would rejoice in that faith, fate, and he desired that the church would rejoice in that fate along with him, that this would be a worthy death. And that just humbles me to wonder, could I say the same? Like, do I want to be known? Do, do I want people to think well of me? Do I want the, and we always talk about leaving a legacy, and I think that's important but your legacy should not be your legacy. Your legacy should be, as we sang, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. It's not my, the story about Nick. It's not the story about you, but it's the story about Jesus. It's the story about the gospel. And so even if Nick's name is forgotten, would you at least remember the gospel message that has been implanted in your heart, maybe because of the ministry that God has allowed me to be a part of, that you remember Jesus, you don't remember Nick. I don't want people to walk away saying, you know what, Nick preached a great sermon, or they sang a great song, or any of those type things about us. I want you to walk away loving Jesus more, knowing him more, praising him more, talking about the goodness of God more. 
talking about the gospel, because that's what it's all about. And so I close with this quote from Oswald Chambers, because it is a good question that he poses to us. Are you, so I want you to, to, to personalize this this morning, are you willing to be offered for the work of the faithful, to pour out your lifeblood as a libation on the sacrifice of the faith of others? Or do you say, I'm not going to be offered up just yet. Maybe like today's term, I can't do that. I do not want God to choose my work. I want to choose the scenery of my own sacrifice. I want to have the right kind of people watching and saying, well done. It is one thing to go on the lonely way with dignified heroism, but quite another thing if the line mapped out for you by God means being a doormat under other people's feet. Suppose God wants to teach you to say, I know how to be abased. Are you ready to be offered up like that? Are you ready to be not so much as a drop in a bucket, to be so hopelessly insignificant that you are never thought of again in connection with the life you served? Are you willing to spend and be spent? not seeking to be ministered unto, but to minister. Some saints cannot be, do menial work and remain saints because it is beneath their dignity. I wonder today, are you willing to have your life spent, not for yourself and not for your own fame and not for the applause and not for the pat on the back, but for the benefit of another? To say, here I am, Lord. Here is my life. Here's my gifts. Here's my voice. Here is the life that you have given me, and now I want to have it spent for others, for your sake and for your glory, that I might be hidden behind you. And they might never see Nick, but they will see Christ, and he will be glorified. Are you willing to serve rather than be served, to lay your life down as a doormat so others could walk across you, even in humility? And I'm talking about humility as an insult that they might get to Christ, that they might know him rather than yourself? Are you willing to live yet your life be forgotten in the moment of your death? My challenge to you is this, let that life begin today. Let whatever that obstacle be, let whatever that limit of obedience be end today. Like today is the day that you say, here's my life, Lord. I've spent enough of it on my, myself and for myself. And so whatever I have to offer you, as we sang earlier, I have nothing to offer to a king, just a heart. And I wonder if that heart is full of awe and reverence for him. That's my desire for this church. That's my desire for you, that you will love Christ like no other. And in that love, you will humbly walk in obedience as our Savior did, who is worthy of everything. And so my response, our response today, I'm going to pray. It's going to be a brief prayer because in this moment, I want you to have a conversation with God. But as we even close out with singing, really, that's our first step of obedience today. It's saying, God, because here's the deal. If, if we can't obey in that, we're definitely not going to obey in the other. And so if we can't sing our praises out to God in this moment, we're, 
we might as well forget walking out of here and being obedient and anything else. And so let's pray. If you need to repent, if you need to confess, if you need to ask God to realign your heart with his, whatever that is, if you need to make a commitment that, and give your life to him to be used, whatever that is, you have that conversation with him. But then we're going to close out in worship of our Savior. God, thank you so much for this truth given to us by Paul. Father, my prayer is simply this, that we would be found obedient. Not because I said so, not because someone we respected says so, not because Paul said so, but because your word says so first and foremost, and your word is not from man, but it is from you. It is your word. It is divine. It is breathed out by you. And so therefore, may we obey your word. May we see it as something given to us for our benefit and for our use so that we will realign our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and everything about us according to your will and your plan and your purpose. And so may we obey you simply because we are in awe and we have a reverence for you because of what Christ has done for us and because of who he is. May we humble ourselves in obedience. And so, Father, I pray for those that are out in the audience, those who um, maybe need to repent, maybe those who are convicted in this moment about something in their life that they've been holding back from you. Lord, I pray that your spirit now would work like only your spirit can do. There's nothing more I can say, and there's no power in my words, but there is power in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would do a great work in this room, online, wherever people have heard the truth of your word and now are called to respond. May they do, may they meet with you, may they know you, and may they give their heart and their life to you. And now, Father, as we close out, we're going to sing our praises to you because you are worthy of our voice. You are worthy of all praise, and we want to be obedient to your whole word today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.